So Judges uh, chapter 16, starting at verse 4. You may have heard this story before. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah, who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. Samson replied, If I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that have not yet been dried, I would become as weak as anyone else. So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings, and she tied Samson up with them. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house, and she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped the bowstring as a piece of string snaps when it is burned by a fire. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Afterward, Delilah said to him, You've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now please tell me how you can be tied up securely. Samson replied, If I were tied up with new, brand new ropes that had never been used, I would become as weak as anyone else. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him up with them. The men were hiding in the inner room as before, and again Delilah cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But again Samson snapped the ropes from his arms as if they were thread. Then Delilah said, You've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now tell me, how can you be tied up securely? Samson replied, If you were to weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric on, on your loom and tighten it with the loom shuttle, I would become as weak as anyone else. So while he slept, Delilah waved the seven braids of his hair into the fabric. Then she tightened it with the loom shuttle. Again she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson woke up, pulled back the loom shuttle and yanked his hair away from the loom and the fabric. Then Delilah pouted, How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. Delilah realised he had finally told her the truth, so she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap, and then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realise the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with, a bron with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. But before long, his hair began to grow back. The Philistine rulers had a great festival, offering sacrifices and praising their god Dagon. They said, Our God has given us victory over our enemy Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, Bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them, and they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. 
Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, Place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest them again. Rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there, and there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. O God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two centre pillars that held up the temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, Let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. Later his brothers and other relatives went down to get his body. They took him back home and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal, where his father Manoah was buried. Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a ripper yarn, isn't it? And uh, if you've been in church circles for some time, or maybe if you have a bit of a penchant for old movies, then you might have actually picked up the plot before. But it really is quite an extraordinary tale, and we're going to look into that and even a little bit earlier on in his life. So let's pray. Our loving Father, would you please help us now as we look at this story of Samson to understand where you are in it and what you were doing and what it means for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, human history is full of men and women who have been a mixture of saint and sinner. Uh, We applaud the saintly qualities that have caused so much good for the world, but we're forced to deal with the sinner aspects as well. And so the great Martin Luther King, leader of the US civil rights movement in the 1950s and a Baptist minister, he did some great things to break down racism. But he also had a weakness for women, which has been revealed in his numerous extramarital affairs. He was both saint and sinner. And likewise, the other Martin Luther from 500 years ago was a man whose spiritual journey ignited the spark that lit the flame of the Reformation. And yet in his final years, he made anti-Semitic statements that centuries later inspired the Nazis in their relationship with the Jews. And how could we not think of King David, the man after God's own heart, the blueprint for King Jesus, who sinned so dramatically in his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba that it led for him to have her husband murdered. Saint and sinner. All of us are, to some degree, just like these men. We are, as was said at the Reformation, both sinners and saints at the same time. And our Lord God chooses to use damaged men like and women like you and me to achieve his purposes in life. And so today we turn to the famous story of Samson. And we see here a man who was both saint and sinner. And as we do this, we will marvel afresh at how God used Samson's weaknesses and his sins to achieve a great salvation for his people, despite their constant rebellion against him. And so as we've expected, 
uh, we're expected to see every week in this nine-week series on the book of Judges, our passage from the Bible begins with a familiar word, again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. We're not told much about what the evil was like, but we do know that the punishment's more severe than in previous times because this time it's 40 years of oppression in the hands of the Philistines. And unlike the other times, God's people don't even ask for help. They don't even cry out, Lord, save us. They rebel, but they don't ask for help. They've been away from the Lord for so long, they didn't even think to cry out to him for help. See, modern Australia, I think we can now say safely, is post-Christian. We assume that most adults know something about the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer, maybe, but we certainly can't assume that about school-aged kids. Many school kids think that Jesus is just a swear word. And as I shared with our scripture teachers at our weekly meeting on Thursday, uh, this is why we really need scripture in our schools. Uh, We need kids to hear about the God of the Bible because if they don't hear it from us, they're probably not going to hear it from anywhere else. Uh, Kids don't need ethics classes because they get most of that stuff already in HSIE. What they need is an hour a week to hear about Jesus. But I don't think back then, in the time of the judges, that they had scripture classes. Because clearly they had wandered so far away from the Lord that they didn't even know who to cry out to. But the Lord hadn't forgotten them. The Lord hadn't forgotten them. And we see this in the story of Manoah and his wife. Verses 2 and 3. In those days a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? It reminds us of the remarkable pregnancies of the wives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then a little bit later on in the history of our Bibles, we've got the stories of Hannah in 1 Samuel and then Elizabeth and Zechariah, as they were given news about how they would conceive John the Baptist. But when I think of an angel coming and saying, congratulations, you're going to have a kid, it just makes me think of the message to Mary, the mother of Jesus. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you'll name him Jesus. It seems in this point here that there are parallels between today's remarkable conception right here in Judges 13 and the conception that we read about in Luke chapter 1 for Jesus. And yet there's something special about this child to Manoah's wife. Because she was told, verses 4 and 5, be careful, you must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food. You'll become pregnant and give birth to a son and his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. This child was to be treated in a special way because he's a Nazarite who was separated from the world and devoted to God. This child was to have special treatment. This child was to have special treatment and it was shown by him abstaining from alcohol and certain foods and never cutting his hair. But it was also 
that he was going to be dedicated to God. And it meant that for his parents, it was a little bit like bringing up a guide dog. You know what it's like. You never really own them. And when they get old enough, you've got to hand them over and they've got to do the job they've got to do. And it's a bit like that. If you had a child who was a Nazarite, you would bring them up till they were young and then hand them over to God and they'd serve her in the temple. And that's what this child would do. We read here that he would begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Now this is the amazing thing, right? The Lord God chose to rescue his people at this point, even though they didn't cry out to him for help and they didn't repent of their sins. See, if we think again of the whole judges cycle, we expect a point where they say, oh God, we're sorry for this treatment that we've given you. We repent. Please send us someone to save us. And then he sends someone. But not this time. The cycle's a little bit different. It's kind of like God just knows what they need before they even have a chance to ask it because it doesn't even think they've got it in them to ask them. So I'm hoping that if you've been with us through this journey in Judges, that you will get an even greater picture of the mercy of God. Because it was while they were spiritually dead that God made them alive. It's just like in Ephesians chapter 2, that God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace you've been saved, Ephesians 2. These people in the time of Judges were as good as spiritually dead. And yet whilst they were spiritually dead, God had a plan to rescue them. And it was all through Samson. Well, sometime later, Manoah, who's Samson's dad, he spoke to the same angel of the Lord who addressed his wife. And we read in verse 17 that Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, What's your name? For when all this comes true, we want to honour you. Why do you ask my name? The angel of the Lord replied, It is too wonderful for you to understand. Hmm. Then Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering and offered it on a rock as a sacrifice to the Lord. And as Manoah and his wife watched, the Lord did an amazing thing. As the flames from the altar shot up towards the sky... The angel of the Lord ascended in the fire. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell with their faces to the ground. They came into the very presence of the Lord. And they thought, hang on a second, this is more than just an angel. Maybe, in fact, it was God. Maybe it was the Lord himself. Maybe it was the Son of God right here. Well, as we fast forward to the birth, in verse 24, we read that when the son was born, she named him Samson. And the Lord blessed him as he grew up. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he lived in Manahadan, which is located between the towns of Zorah and Eshtael. Samson was born, the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord, there it is, began to stir within him. It's just like the spirit of the Lord that came upon Jephthah, remember? Got him ready to go out and to bang some serious head, right? He got the spirit of the Lord and he was empowered. And we should be excited as we see this because we think something's going to happen now. What's God going to do? How will Samson, the Nazarite, save God's people from the Philistines? Well, with this question in mind, 
we now get to the start of chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, that one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. Oh, hello, hello. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. Hmm, okay. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites that you could marry? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, Get her for me. She looks good to me. Woo! Does this surprise you? It should. It's like, hang on a second. Samson, he had one job. Wipe out Philistines. You may not quite get that yet, but what does he do? He says, I want a Philistine woman. It's like, don't you guys learn that it's when you marry with the enemy, like you have in the past in the history of God's people, it never turns out well. And mum and dad are like, look, I really do just want you to be happy, but why a Philistine? Because you'd think, here is this great man of God, a Nazarite, reserved for holiness, and you'd think that he might just kind of get an inkling that this is a bad thing to do. Well, is this going to jeopardise God's plan? We read in the next verse that his father and mother didn't realise that the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. See, even though Samson was being ruled by his hormones... The Lord was still ruling sovereignly over creation and everyone in it. Sin is not outside God's sovereignty. Don't think that when you sin, God says, Oh dear, I need to work out a plan B. Don't think that God says, What am I going to do to try and retrieve some good from this evil? See, God has only a plan A. And even our sin will not thwart him. And so, verse 5 and 6, we read that as Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson, this is exciting, near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat. But he didn't tell his father or mother about it. Why? Well, we'll find out. But Samson was very, very strong. He's an awesome he's a man's man you know lion Arr. no worries and sometime later on samson discovered that bees had turned this dead lion into a hive and it was full of honey and samson thought i like honey and so he went and scooped out the honey from within the carcass of the lion and ate it oh it's a bit gross isn't it Anyway, this is Samson. He's kind of ruled by primal instincts, I think. Anyway, after that, Samson threw a wedding party and he played a game with 30 guys who the bride's family invited. And it was a game that would help him pay for the costs of having to have special clothes for all 30 of these men. <laughs> and so in verse 12, we read, Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle. 
If you solve my riddle during these seven days of the celebration, I will give you 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. But if you can't solve it, then you must give me 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. All right, they said, let's hear your riddle. So he said, out of the one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. What's it all about? It's about the lion. And the sweet bit is the honey. Now we know that because we've been told this little story, but nobody else has. And for three days, the 30 friends were totally stumped. And they thought, I reckon we can work out a way to get the answer out of Samson. And so they asked Samson's fiancée to try and help them. So in verse 15, we read that on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to explain the riddle for us or we'll burn down your father's house with you in it. Lovely wedding guests. Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? That escalated quickly. And so verse 16, Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, you don't love me, you hate me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. Samson said, I haven't even given the answer to my mum or dad. Why should I tell you? This is a relationship that was off to a fine start. And so she cried for days. Not much of a wedding festivity really, is it? And she nagged and she nagged and she nagged her fiancé. And then finally he gave in, told her, and then she told the 30 men. And then the men came to Samson within the allotted time and correctly solved the riddle. And how did Samson feel about that? Not so happy. He was furious. And verse 19, we read that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to the town of Ashkelon, killed 30 men, took their belongings, and gave their clothing to the men who had solved his riddle. But Samson was furious about what had happened, and he went back home to live with his father and mother. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. Oh dear, this is the wedding from hell. And then later when Samson came back after that to see the woman who was supposed to be becoming his wife, his father-in-law explained kind of delicately, oh, you're never going to believe what happened. Oh, we've kind of married her off to the best man. Really, this sounds like something out of Married at First Sight. Not that I've seen it. Uh, but in all of this, Samson's rejection led to anger, uh, no joke. And he was furious again. Verses 4 and 5. Then he went out and caught 300 foxes. <laughs> You'd find a few here in Jamboree. Uh, he tied their tails together in pairs, fastened a torch to each pair of tails, then he lit the torches, let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines. He burned all their grain to the ground, including the sheaves and the uncut grain, and he also destroyed their vineyards and olive groves. Wow. The Philistines weren't so happy about that, so they tried to work out why Samson did it, and he told them the story about his father-in-law and kind of to be and the, his fiancée, and so the Philistines killed them. 
So then the Philistines thought, we need to get this Samson guy. So they go to God's people, the Israelites, and they say, we'd really like to have Samson, please. And so you'd expect that God's people would say, get lost, he's our saviour. But instead they're like, hey, no worries, we're just going to get him for you. We'll be back soon. And so they go to him and they say, we need to tie you up and give you over to the Philistines. And Samson's like, no, that's okay. No worries. And they hand him over, all tied up to the Philistines. You'd think this is the end for Samson. But verse 14, we read that as Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph. But the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully among Samson and he snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burned strands of flax and they fell from his wrists. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey and picked it up and killed 1,000 Philistines with it. It's extraordinary. But you see here that God's people, I don't know if you noticed this, they sacrificed their saviour. Did you see that? They sacrificed him. They didn't realise that Samson was the one chosen by God to save them from the Philistines. And so they handed over their saviour to the enemies. And because of that, you'd think that the evil Philistines would win. But no. God's saviour came back from what seemed like certain death and he defeated the enemy. Does it start to ring any Christian bells in your ears? It sounds a lot like the first Easter, doesn't it? But it doesn't end there, does it? We get to our final chapter, which James read most of the before, but it begins like this. One day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Uh, right. This holy Nazarite guy chosen to save God's people. Not a good look, Samson. And as he attended his business, the Philistines heard that he was there and they planned to ambush him the next morning as he left the town. But verse 3, Samson stayed in bed only until midnight and then he got up, took hold of the doors of the town gate, including the two posts, lifted them up, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and carried them all the way to the top of the hill across from Hebron. The old Samson has not changed. He still has a weakness for women and he's still hated by the Philistines and he's still very, very strong. But there's going to be one final romantic event. We heard about it before. Verse 4, Sometime later Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. This is the Delilah who would entice Samson. It's Delilah who lives in Sorek, right in the heart of Philistine country. Samson might be really, really strong, but he's really, really thick. It's like, mate, how have these other little rendezvous gone with the Philistines? Tell me how they've ended up. Well, as their relationship developed... The Philistines thought that they might use Delilah to capture their arch enemy. And so verse 5, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. And then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. That's a lot of cash. What's she going to do? 
Is she going to show loyalty to the man who really loves her? Or will she sell him out for pieces of silver? 1,100 pieces of silver is a lot more than the measly 30 pieces of silver that was paid to Judah, to Judas in order to betray Jesus. 1,100. What did she do? She was tempted. She was tempted to betray Samson. And she gave in. And so verse 6, Delilah said to Samson, uh, I'm just wondering, tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely? Just asking for a friend. I wonder what Samson was thinking about this. Maybe he worked out at that point that she may well have had a stronger affinity to the Philistines than to him. And so just to see, he gave us some false information. Verse 7, if I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that had not been dried, I'd become as weak as anyone else. And so, verse 8, the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings as he, and she tied Samson up with them. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house. She cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it's burned by fire. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Now you'd think then that he'd wise up to the conspiracy. Especially when in verse 10, after Delilah said to him, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now, please tell me how you can be tied up securely. But again, Samson deceived her two more times until, a bit later on in verse 15, Delilah pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. There must have been something pretty special about Delilah to make Samson want to remain loyal to her, despite the fact that she wanted to kill him, or even worse, that she nagged him. Uh, and so verse 17, finally Samson shared his secret with her. My hair's never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head was shaved... My strength would leave me and I'd become as weak as anyone. And Delilah realised he'd finally told her the truth. So he sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he's finally told me his secret. And so the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap. And then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. And in this way she began to bring him down and his strength left him. And then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And when he woke up, he thought, I'll do as before and I'll shake myself free. But he didn't realise the Lord had left him. And so the Philistines captured him, gouged out his eyes, took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in prison. The saviour of God's people is captured and weakened. He's the man that God has chosen to use to save them. And you think, this is bad. How could this possibly turn out well? But the story's not quite over yet. 
Because in verse 22 we realize, read, read that, but before long, his hair began to grow back. Even though things seemed a failure, there was hope. But not before the Saviour was humiliated. And this happened even more as they, the Philistines, threw a huge celebration at their victory over Samson. And they wanted to humiliate him even more. And so verse 25, half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them and they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. And so the once powerful saviour is now humiliated even further as now he is paraded out to amuse the hostile crowds like some sort of circus animal. God's saviour is humiliated. Humiliated. How's it all going to turn out? Well, even though it seemed that the enemy would win, there was still hope. Verse 26, Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. And the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there. And there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. And then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. And then Samson put his hands on the two centre pillars that held up the temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. And so he killed more people when he died than he had through his entire lifetime. Through his death, Samson killed the enemy. And the Lord defeated the enemy, even though God's people didn't even ask for help. Now, Samson is not a great moral example. The take-home tonight is not live a life just like Samson. No, don't do that. He's a deeply flawed leader of God's people. And yet, despite his weaknesses, the Lord chose to use him to bring about a great salvation for his people, even though they didn't deserve it one little bit. But think about Jesus. There are many similarities here, but one very clear difference. He never sinned. He never acted wrongly. But other than that difference, there are many parallels here. There was a miraculous birth. The Saviour was rejected by the people. The enemy seemed to have power over the Saviour. But then finally, as the Saviour died, there was, enemy over, there was victory over the enemy. See, in all of this, we have a fresh reminder that we don't deserve to be saved. But our Lord loves us so much that he would sacrifice his son to save us. What a wonderful salvation. What a wonderful saviour. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that while we were dead in our sins, 
you made us alive with Christ. And we thank you, Father, that even though we rejected you and hated you, that as your enemies, you loved us and sent your son to die for us. And we are reminded again that your love for us is not just something that happened at the last minute. You have loved your people, even though we have consistently deserted you and disobeyed you and rejected you. We thank you, Father, that we've seen a glimpse of that in the story of Samson, but that we see it in full colour as we see the life of Christ. And we pray that we would understand the riches of your grace and the joy of our salvation. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, next week we have our final talk in the series, and that is idolatry and immorality. We're looking at chapters 17, 18, 19, 20 and 21. That's five chapters. I will be scooting through them at quite a pace. You might like to have a read of them as you get home this week. They are as down and dark as it's ever going to get in the book of Judges. And yet we will still see hope.